0: worship team and things having to change up there and jason's not being here along those lines definitely do keep praying for jason as he continues to uh, walk the path that uh, god has given him Um, i talked to him on friday and and uh, i say i believe his hope and his and strength is in the lord but uh, obviously it's still a very very difficult path for him to walk so keep him in your prayer, and hopefully uh, one day before too long, he can be back up here uh, leading our worship along with Carrie and Sarah. Hopefully, I think Carrie's uh, using sinus as, a, as an excuse this morning or something. <laughs> 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 so uh, we're going to have a couple Sundays this Sunday and next Sunday where we're just going to do a hymn sing. Um, then for the rest of the no- month in November, I think we may have uh, various uh, people and possibly Drew and Olivia again from, from Windsor or may come for a Sunday, and we'll have a few people filling in for us for the month in November. So it uh, our uh, worship times may not look normal, but since when does anything about worship have to be normal? We're here to, to praise God and uh, sing to him. You know, I have to think, today is uh, a day where uh, the world, and quite frankly, a lot of Christians have been sucked into celebrating evil. There's not really any better way to put it than that. And I, uh, I'm not going to get into into it real deeply, uh, we may actually post some resources as a church, um, the uh, origins and really the the evil that is Halloween and, and how the church and Christians have just gotten sucked into that, and that unfortunately is today that a lot of uh, people are, are celebrating that, but we're here to celebrate something completely and totally different. We're here to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the plan that Through God and His love has given us to be redeemed back to Him. We're here, we're going to have our uh, communion service following the sermon today. And and I I think it's so fitting that on, on a day when the world and even a lot of the church is celebrating evil, we can take the time to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we invite you to join in that for us um, towards the end of the service. For announcements, um, we do not have a lunch planned following the service. We normally do, but on these uh, fifth Sundays, which happens four times a year, we take a break from that to allow you to uh, have family time or invite people into your homes or whatever the Lord uh, allows you to do <clears throat> on that. We do have a uh, Friday evening is our uh, family game night here at the church uh hosted by John and Maggie 6:30 p.m. this coming Friday evening so everybody is welcome uh friends community whoever you'd like to invite please feel free to uh come and participate in that um I think that's pretty much it for announcements we're uh A little bit short on numbers today, especially this side, I'm not sure what's happening with this side of the church here, but uh, um, we're not going to try to have, I guess we will try not to have any competition in singing side to side because that may not work, but I am going to need you all to uh, use your voices to the best of your ability that God has given you. I'll try not to cough too much. If I do, I may just uh, call on Dave to come up here and finish out for me, so. I have a couple songs picked out to start. You can feel free to use either book that you'd like, the Zion's Praises or the Red Book, whatever that's called anymore, the Faith and Praise. I'm gonna start out with a song in the Faith and Praise book. Number 144. Oh, Worship the King. <laughs>
1: O worship the King, all-glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love, our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days. Descends to the plain and sweetly distils in the dew and the rain Frail children of dust and fear. how tender, how firm to the end. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend.
0: And also as we go along here, if you have a testimony, a prayer request, uh, anything in the middle of these songs, feel free to, well, actually in between songs, maybe I should say. Um, If you have anything to share, feel free to do that. If you have selections, uh, that a song that uh, is especially meaningful to you, feel free to pick that and uh, tell us why it means a lot to you. Switch over to your Zion's Praises number 341. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed. And so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell, I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell, redeem. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemer. Shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeem-
0: Selection. Steve, do you have one? Yeah,
2: 424 in
0: the green book. I don't know if you've noticed there aren't quite as many green books around as uh, red ones, so if you're missing some, go on a hunt for them, I guess. <laughs> They're around.
1: What'd you say that was, 424?
0: Yes, in the green book.
1: Nearer my god. Right.
0: the words you were singing in there? There's a couple verses in that song that actually are not quite as familiar, but I found interesting. Well, the the entire song, I mean, it, it covers our whole range of emotions, experiences, and whatever may happen in life and says no matter what, in all those times is our goal to be nearer to him. Verse 4 is one that's not quite as familiar, or at least it wasn't to me. It talks about your thoughts being bright with God's praise, even in times of grief and woe, as it puts it. You know, we we know what those times are like. Are our thoughts in times of grief and woe still filled with his praise and filled with the desire to be near to him? You know, if that's the cry of your heart, no matter what you're going through in life, God's going to answer that cry. He will. He absolutely will. Faith and Praise, Red Book 742. your many blessings. It's number 742 in the Red Book.
1: When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one. Surprise you what the Lord hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your many blessings, see what God hath done Are you ever burdened with the Lord of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. See what God hath done Count your blessings Name them one by one Count your many blessings See what God hath done So amid the conflict Whether great or small Do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. See what God hath done Count your blessings Name them one by one Count your many blessings See what God hath done How many did you
0: get counted back there, Steve? It looked like you were counting them up. Did you run out of well, fingers?
2: Yeah, well, I ran out of fingers. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
0: you know this one better than I do. I know the chorus well, but for some reason the verses are a little fuzzy in my mind, so sing it out. Don't depend on me.
3: (laughs) It could sound interesting.
1: it's Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we
0: 504 and I can tell you it's not very easy to sing when there's tears in your eyes but uh, thank you Sarah for, for picking that song That that is yeah I think a, a perfect reflection of where we're at in life and, and the hope that we have was that number 504 in uh, green book. ah the green book I almost led the wrong one Five hundred four. My anchor holds. we great on the testimony. No matter what's going wrong, we have that anchor. It doesn't have to be in times when things are going wrong either. We still have that anchor of our soul. <laughs>
1: Though the angry surges roll on my tempest driven, soul I am peaceful for It's the right key, but it's way too high for my voice. <laughs> That's the, that was the right key, but it is way too high. Mm. Though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I am peaceful for us. By his grace I shall not fail, for my anchor holds,
0: my anchor holds. We have a nice row of bass there. Uh, Judd, don't look so
1: puzzled. Mighty tides about me sweep. Perils lurk within the deep. Angry clouds o'ershade the sky and the tempest rises high. Still i stand the tempest shock for my head the rock and it holds I can feel the anchor fast as I meet each sudden blast, and the cable, though unseen, bears a heavy strain between. Through the storm, I stay. Seek to lure astray Storms obscure the light
0: Trust me, our anchor will hold a whole lot better than what that singing was. (laughs) All right. Uh, Kids, I think Sarada has a story for you. So come on, sit up here somewhere, wherever she tells you to. and uh, She'll have a story for you after that. We're going to have a little bit of a break. There's coffee, uh, water, whatever, snacks and goodies uh, out there in in the foyer. We'll have a 10-minute break or so after the children's lesson.
4: We don't have very many children today, but it's good to see all of you. It's fun to be together. Um, I have a story this morning that I was reading and I loved. Um, It's about a young man who lived a really short life, but he did a lot in his life. So it's not really about how many years you live, right? What's the most important thing, do you guys think? Not about if you live to be 30, like Laurie, or 80. What's the most important thing? More than, huh? How you spend your dash? dash. Yeah, like in a tombstone, they have, you know, the day that you're born, and then there's that little dash, and then it's the day you die. The most important thing is how you spend that little dash. That's really good. What do you guys think the most important thing is? What can we do? To make the most out of our life. Make a ton of money. As much money as we can. Does that sound like a good way to spend our life? Say what? Be a missionary? Yeah, that's a good idea. What would we be a missionary about or for? For what? The gospel. Yeah. Which is what? What's the gospel? Do you know, Keenan? Uh. Almost. What do you think? What's the gospel? Do you know, Blakey? Jesus Christ. Yes. Jesus is the gospel, and how His life changes our lives, and telling other people about it too. Right? Okay. So, have any of you heard of David Brainerd? Yeah. No. 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 He had a really exciting life. Do you want to hear about it? Okay. With a cry of pain, the horse lurched forward, causing her master to topple to the ground. What in the world? David Brainerd stood, brushed himself off, and looked to see what had happened. The mare lay in agony on the ground. Her legs snapped in two. David was beyond despair, as he knew the inevitable must take place. With two native Native Indians and a fellow missionary looking on, David raised his weapon and killed the faithful horse. He and his traveling companions then trekked 30 miles to the next house. Such was the life of a young man who gave his life to see others won to Christ. Literally working himself to death, David Brainerd made it a point throughout his life to see to it that men, women, children, old and young, could have a chance to know Jesus. David Brainerd was a young man with a heart for missionary work. He often said, I never, since I began to preach, could feel any freedom to enter into other men's labors and settle down in the ministry where the gospel was preached before. He wanted to do something for God that had never been accomplished. After spending much time as a young man struggling with his salvation, he gave himself to prayer and sought the face of God to know how he might be saved. On July 12, 1739, while walking in the forest, David Brainerd gave his heart to the Lord and was gloriously saved. He became a zealous and fervent witness for his Lord. Although at times he suffered from depression, self-pity, and loneliness, he always righted himself in the Lord. When his desire to serve the Lord returned, he was too zealous for some, and after calling his Yale professors less than zealous, he was expelled. Uh-oh. After battling disappointment and bitterness, he learned to give it to the Lord, and he instead devoted his life to God's service. Um, one of his something that he wrote in one of his journals was, I hardly ever so long to live to God and to be altogether devoted to him. I wanted to wear out my life in his service and for his glory. Although his ministry was full of many hardships, heartbreaks sicknesses and unexplained difficulties, David Brainerd served the Lord for five years with over 100 converts. he also did some Bible translation into an American Indian language. when ill health inca- incapacitated him, he returned home or when it um, he wasn't able to go on he returned home and spent his last days with the Jonathan Edwards family. even then his zeal was infectious at the young age of 29, David Brainerd breathed his last on his on this earth. And as he entered heaven's portals, may we not say he was eagerly welcome. God takes what we think is of little worth and uses it for his honor and his glory. He can use the weak or the sometimes depressed to serve him. So, dear Christian, do not give up. Keep serving the Lord. He will be everything that you need. Not a good story. When I read that story again, I was like, wow, Jesus, make that so in my life, in all of our lives. And I want you guys to remember as you grow up, it's not about how much stuff we have or how many friends we might have or um, I don't know how people look at us or if they like us. The most important thing in the whole world is knowing Jesus and sharing his love with others because this time on earth is so short it's not very long and we don't we're never promised another day but if we live it all 100% for Jesus in the little things in the big things and everything in between we will have the most fulfilled life and one day when we die and we enter heaven like Laurie did 2 weeks ago We'll be able to hear, "Well done, you good and faithful servant," and we'll have all of eternity to praise Him, to talk to Jesus, to ask Him all the questions we had that we never got answered here. Um, but it's the best life that we can ever ever live. Okay. Oh, cool. I about that poem. I used
5: to love. It. I used to love that poem. You guys like poetry? Do you know what poetry is? Yeah, boring stuff. Boring stuff? Yeah. I, for the most part, I agree with you. Um, you don't know what poetry is. Poetry is like uh, something. It's words put together that is higher education than me to do, and it uh, kind of rhymes somehow. All right. So this is we were talking about the dash, right? What does the dash represent? No. What does the dash represent? <laughs> yeah. But what does it represent? Think about it. Life. Does that represent life? Well, born and die, what's in between? Life. Right? So it represents your life. So that's why it's so important to live the dash the best. All right. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted the first that he noted that first came the date of birth, and spoke the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years, for that dash represents all the time that we spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If you could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more, and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Okay, you guys can go back. (laughs) It's a rhyme. All right, let me think about
0: it. Actually, Steve has a song he wants to lead
2: us in before we do that. Fresh air And I'm not Fonzie either. Um, talking about that poem, that, that was good, Carrie, uh, is that we want to show how much we do appreciate one uh, individual in this congregation And I understand there was a rumor that he's a day older, uh, I should say a year older than he was before. And uh, and he's half a century old. Can you believe that? (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, he can get back at me because I'm older than him. (laughs) But everybody, let's sing to him. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear brother Phil, happy birthday to you, and many more. We just wanted, we wanted to let you know how much we uh, love you, and we care for you, and, uh, And I just pray that God's spirit continues in your life. God bless you. For another 50 years. (laughs) At least. I don't think there's any
0: birthday cake back there. there. There are some other goodies, so go help yourselves. caffeine. Let's see if uh, we can uh, sit still. I mean, we, should, we definitely should stay awake. I'm not sure if we'll sit still to listen to Phil. We might uh, become quite charismatic. So whether whether it's the, the sugar or the spirit, you'll have to determine. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, Phil's going to share the word with us, and following that, we'll have our communion service. So Phil, go ahead.
6: Father, we come to you this morning because you are worthy, Lord Jesus, and because you are a God who speaks, we come, Lord, to listen. I come to open up your word, Father, and to hear. What you have to say, to speak into my life, to guide us into all truth, Lord, to encourage us and to light up our path and be a lamp to our feet. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to Second Corinthians chapter four. As we've been walking through the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> this is a word the Lord has been writing on my heart in a deeper, more significant way than before. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Last weekend, I went through this whole range of emotions, as many of us did, but found myself having a responsibility of being at a funeral on Thursday and flying home Friday and being at a wedding rehearsal on Friday night and officiating a wedding here on Sunday. And that whole Saturday, <clears throat> that Saturday, uh, and, and that whole range of emotion was, um, it felt like a roller coaster for me. But as I, as, that's how it felt. But as I sought the Lord in guiding me through that, the Lord reminded me, That they were both the same. They were not two different things. The one was a prelude to the other. Laurie met her bridegroom a couple weeks ago. And there was a wedding day in heaven. And so Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 5. That when someone gets married here. He's not really speaking about a man and a woman becoming one. He's talking about Christ and his church. And all of a sudden, as I stood here to share the word to a house full of people coming together to celebrate this couple, this man and woman becoming one flesh and bowing their lives together. The Lord reminded me, I'm standing here. Inviting all of you to become one with me, and out of John 17, Jesus' prayer just before he went out to the cross that night: "Father, I pray that you would make them one, even as we are one." And that's the oneness that awaits every one of us. Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter eleven. I've espoused you to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in case you feel like life contradicts us at times and it takes us through the range of emotions, just take a break and meet with the Lord in His Word and you will find... That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all that we experience in this life is only a preparation. It's prep for eternity. That's where real life begins. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry. What ministry? If you go back into the previous chapter. He says we have the ministry in verse 8. Of the Spirit. Verse 9 For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, speaking of Moses' ministry, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Do you ever lose heart? The last verse. Verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the difference. That's it. The body that we've seen, glory, Standing here singing with Jason every Sunday so beautifully. That body we've seen is no more. It's going to return to dust. But the thing which we did not see. Her spirit, her inner man. Is now united with her bridegroom. Experiencing the joy of her Lord. Is having a wedding feast. And if you and I can, through the eyes of faith, open the eyes of our heart and see that, we will never lose heart. There is no reason for us to lose heart. In fact, we will say amen to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The day of one's death is better than Than the day of one's birth. Why? For this reason. Verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Craftiness means, you know, when you you try to deceive someone. You're crafting something because you want to make something appear to be something. Craftsmanship. In this context, is idol worship. Something we craft. A life we create. A life or a picture we want others to see. Is that what you're doing with the Word of God? It is easy to do. It's natural to do. To take God's Word and create a picture of my life for others to see. Apostle Paul said, that's not the ministry we have received. That's not what we're trying to serve others. We're not doing that. That is taking God's word and adulterating it. It means it's making it, in, bringing it into a relationship that is sinful. And when you and I have that kind of relationship with God's word, it becomes sin to us. It deceives us. It makes us think we are somebody, doesn't just let others think we are, but after you and I do this enough, craft something with God's word as a picture of who I am when that's not really who I am, I'm adulterating God's word, it deceives my own heart. That's what James said in James chapter 1. What did he say happens to those who only hear God's word but don't do it? What happens to us? Anyone? You become deceived. That's the worst thing about it. While we try to deceive others, they're not fooled, actually. We become the fool. It actually convinces me that I am somebody who I'm not. That's the most dangerous thing of being a hearer of God's word and not a doer. But Paul says, nope, we have... Renounced all of that stuff. That means we have said no to it. I'm not living like that. But by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, we live with a good conscience. Our conscience is clear before God. And that's how we walk. Now, others may not understand that. It may seem weird to them and strange, and indeed, just like Jesus when he walked on the earth, he seemed strange indeed to a lot of people. Some called him a good man. Some said, oh, he's sent from God. He must, he's a miracle worker. Others said, look at him. He's sitting there with those sinners and he's fellowshipping with them. That's not right. Others said, I've seen him drinking some wine. He's a wine bibber. Others said, well, he eats all the time. He doesn't fast. He must be a glutton. And others said, he's got a devil for sure. That's what they actually said about Jesus when he walked among people here on the earth. But Jesus said, wisdom is justified of our children. That means he walked with his heavenly father and he commended in that conscience which was open communication, no condemnation before his father, that's how he served others. There's nothing like that in the world. If you and I want to be like Jesus, we must handle God's word and serve others that way in an honest, open way, but truthful with God, first of all, and sharing his word that way. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, there is a sense of veiledness over our life, that hidden life with Christ, that many times we're not even allowed to share with others to justify ourselves. You know, a married couple is a unique relationship. There's nothing like it on earth. It is the only relationship on earth That it is right for two people to live a secret life, a hidden life, where many conversations, the deep conversations and unity and oneness that they experience is not for anyone else to see in the world. It's good and right. And that's still the way it is with Jesus and his people, Jesus and you, Jesus and me. He comes to develop that relationship with us. And you know, when you as a married couple, when we as a married couple have that good and right relationship, it doesn't really matter what people say about us. I remember. I don't know, we were maybe married about a year or so. And we were in love. We still are in love. And you'll see us still doing this. We hold hands a lot, Katie and I. And I remember we went to a wedding and we we were a part of a church culture that was uh, more focused on outward righteousness. And so anyway, this will help you explain a bit of this, what I'm going to say. We went to a good friend's wedding. And at the wedding, the, the, the one who was sharing the word made a very strong statement. He said, he's convinced that if couples need to show outward affection publicly, they've got marriage problems big time. So he said, if you think you need to show outward affection like holding hands in public, then you've surely got marriage problems. You're just trying to cover it up. Because if you would do it in secret, you don't need to show off. Well, that was his perspective. And Katie and I, I remember, were sitting there pretty far up front because they were very good friends of ours. And they had invited us to sit up there right behind the family. And so there was a big church, lots of people there at the wedding. And and after uh, the wedding is the service is over, the ushers file you out. And Katie looked at me and said are we going to hold hands walking down the aisle? And I said absolutely. And so we did. We get up and we walked out holding hands. And afterward A number of people came to us, and my parents were there, and they said, are they having marriage
2: problems?
6: (laughs) But you know what? I didn't care, because we weren't having marriage problems. And I disagreed with his interpretation of the Word of God. I didn't see it there. It wasn't my personal persuasion or conviction. And we were secure enough in our love that outward opinion certainly didn't matter. We were going to be truthful. It was not a lie. Now, I'm sure that that brother has probably counseled many couples who did have fights. And their relationship at home was not good and strong. And they put on an outward display of affection to try to cover it up. I don't doubt that that's, he probably seen that and experienced it. And we, because people do that. But to make that assumption, that I couldn't agree with. But my point is, you as a married couple, when we as a married couple live our lives in the truth of oneness of love in Christ's word, and we're led by the Lord to show outward affection in a discreet and modest way, publicly, it doesn't matter what others say. And this is how Jesus wants to live with you and me. Are you willing to live like that with him? Today, Jesus wants our outward affection. And you know how many Christians are ashamed of that? They actually live, though most of us in this crowd probably would say, that preacher's just dead wrong. That's, that's just not right. I don't know where he was coming from. He must be a legalist or something. Is he? Is that how you live your life with Jesus? Do you know how many God's children, how many who are married to Jesus Christ don't want to show any public outward affection to him? Especially not out at the workplace or in the office or, you know, on the street or... No, 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 no. no. It's okay in the closet. It's okay in my bedroom. But let's not take it any, not much further than that. Maybe in the kitchen, but only, you know, with a few of our real, real close friends do I get emotional about Jesus. And those guys that get all emotional about him, yeah, it's all fake. That's why you gotta do that stuff. Ah. Are you that kind of a married person to Jesus? And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That they might not see the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord. But Christ Jesus as Lord. And that word is bridegroom. It's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 3. Where he says that Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Husband. My head of my life. Does your life proclaim him as Lord? As your bridegroom? Openly, publicly, you're not ashamed to be called his bride, because that's who you are. That's how you live. Paul said, that's how I'm going to live. My life, my message is going to be one and the same. I'm married to Jesus, and that's it, and I'm not ashamed of it. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And I want you to notice that. First, I proclaim him as Lord. And then, out of that lordship, out of that relationship that he's my husband, I serve others. And isn't that wonderful? To live in a home where a couple pours out their life. It's like if you were to come and visit someone in their home and you come over a noon meal maybe they invite you for dinner and the wife all she thinks about is how she can make the best tasting meal and that you enjoy it and she's so taken up with this that it just drives her crazy she's anxious about it she's fearful she's She's wanting to make sure everything tastes top-notch and that everyone enjoys it, though all their taste buds may be different. And she's consumed with how people are enjoying her meal. Would you like to go there again tomorrow night? Would you find that a pleasant experience? If all night, that's all she's talking about. Did you enjoy it? Are you sure? How was the apple pie? What about what about my casserole or whatever she cooked? And, and she would, that is a whole conversation. Is that what you went for? No. Probably all of us would be going like, yeah, maybe. You know, I'm busy right now if they'd invite us the next week. I'm busy. Maybe in a few weeks. Let her calm down a little bit. Do you know somebody who was like that? A story in the Bible? Yes. Jesus was there. And Martha was all consumed with the preparation of the food and the busyness of it. That she became anxious and bothered. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you've missed what Mary chose, the good part. And it will not be taken away from her. Wouldn't you much rather be invited to someone, to a home for dinner? And that couple is in love with each other. And yes, there's food made, but it's not even the point. It's not why you were invited. You were invited for fellowship. And when you come and you sit down, you enjoy each other's company. They're enjoying each other's company, and they're sharing that with you. And the others are sharing this, and there is a, a an atmosphere of fellowship that builds you up, that makes you stronger, that makes you, that encourages you. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's how he was gonna live. I'm first married to Christ, he's my husband, and out of that relationship I serve others for fellowship, to build them up, to encourage them. Or six, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Have you read Genesis 1 lately? Here a few weeks ago, I had no idea what was coming. But the Lord woke me up around 2 o'clock in the morning. And he He put on my heart Genesis. And I don't even know why. I couldn't figure out what was going on. But the Lord just simply put in my heart to study Genesis. Genesis 1 through 3, the creation, His creation. And as I soaked myself in the Word, the Lord gave me such beautiful revelation and encouraged me through this, His act of creation. And how He took everything that was just without form and it was dark and and He took it and He created it perfect and beautiful through the Word of His mouth. He did all that. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Dear brother, sister, friend, if you are experiencing darkness in your life, come to the God who is speaking, who by saying, speaking his word, can light up your darkness. Is the one Look, the same God who said that, and that's what happened when he created the world, is the one who has shown in our hearts, in my heart, oh, how many souls are walking through this world darkened, stumbling around, being beat up by life and experiences. And I'll tell you, as I walked through this Chapter in the last couple of weeks. I can't figure out why Laurie had to die and sweet little Rebecca. And I don't think any of us can understand that. And it feels like a darkness has come down over our souls. That's what death feels like pitch black darkness. You don't understand. You can't see anything. You're groping around. The next day, and you just you. The the experience of darkness is far worse than physical. Right? Have you ever been in a very very dark room and been overjoyed with the darkness, no. just overwhelmed, started singing? You were just. There was so much joy that dark feeling brought to you no right no one does that when we're in that kind of a darkness we grope for the light where is the light switch where is it we want some kind of light we're afraid to take the next step unless you're familiar with where you're walking God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you see your bridegroom there? When we walk through these experiences that overshadow the soul with darkness, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's a death of relationship. It's a death of a job. It's a death of something in our life that dies. And we are feeling completely overwhelmed. And it feels like we're in a dark place. There's only one that can shine in our hearts. Only one light switch. Nothing else will shine light into my heart except the face of Jesus. And I went back and I read Revelation 22 and 21. And there's no need for the sun there because Jesus is the light of the world. You and I can live in no need of the sun physically. Do you live that way? Or do you look for sunlight Experiences of sunlight physically, emotionally to light up your world. Which lights which are you reaching for? If you come to the face of Jesus, in our dark world, he lights up our souls. And this is what he he does in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's right here. In this earthen body. Years ago. <clears throat> a few years ago. I went to a, 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 a conference. And there was a dear brother. I don't even remember his name. He was a pastor from. I think it was Tennessee. And he was sharing at one of these workshops. On this chapter. And it changed my life. And he wasn't a dynamic speaker. he's just. Kind of sharing like this those 45 minutes of listening to him share this truth, I just sat there weeping. The Lord was speaking, doing this to me, shining the face of Jesus Christ and that light straight into my heart. And it lit up my world. It took that mass of darkness where there was without form and and just it felt like I was in the depths of water and all of a sudden the face of Jesus Changed everything and created a new world for me. He called it the conspiracy of earthen vessels. This is how God fooled the devil in Jesus' life. How is God fooling the devil in our life, in your life? Because he took his own spirit. God himself and put it in human flesh that outwardly looked imperfect and full of faults. Oh, man, did they find faults in Jesus. And you know what? You and I would too. We would have too. That's not for ourselves. If we met Jesus in person, we would find fault. Because we do in his people. Don't we? His bride. First, it's not hard to find fault in Jesus' bride. It's full of faults. That's just the way it is. But God has chosen to make them his bride, people of earthen vessels, to be the light of the world. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. And I'm going to take my glorious light and shine it in your heart and light your world. And it will fool people because all they'll see, humanly speaking, is your faults. But you and I, our relationship is hidden in this earthen pot. And out of that, my glory will shine forth. My life will come forth. Eternal life. And this is why he does it. That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. If God could make you absolutely perfect, without any spot or wrinkle, or no one could pick a fault with your life. You know what they who they would praise? Guess who they would praise? Who would the world see? They would praise you. They would praise me. And this is the danger of when we go to share God's word and we adulterate God's word by crafting a life and presenting that to people. That isn't true because we want to present the best, our own craftiness to others. But when we're bold enough, secure enough in our marriage relationship with Jesus just to be ourselves and be one with Him and walk in obedience to Him, then that glorious light the gospel shines forth out of an earthen vessel and God receives glory. Why do they glorify Him? Because the power is definitely not coming from you and me. That's not where the light is shining on my heart. It's coming from there. We all know it. We see it. We experience it. And this is is what it looks like. Listen to these words. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. You know what that word afflicted actually means in the Greek? It is whipped with a thorn bush. That's how they afflicted somebody. Took a thorn bush... And whip them. Whack. Whack. In every way. You feel life circumstances like they're a thorn bush. And not like that young guy that years ago we used to go sledding down a hill with and coming into a thorn bush. And he'd say, come to me, briar bush. Come to me. We're not that bold. Right? We're not like that. We say, get me out of this thorn bush. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Do you see that? It doesn't crush us. Does it wound us? Yes. But when something is crushed, it loses its form. You take a pop can. Lucas is into collecting pop cans. These little metal pop cans. And he has this little crusher mounted on the wall. He puts this nice little shaped, beautiful-looking pop can that someone put a lot of time and money into art, right? It's amazing. I mean, they don't just give you a plain can. They give you a, you know, Mountain Dew and Pepsi and all of these other companies that they put art on there and the power drinks you can get, they're, they're, they're attractive. That's why people go for it, not just a drink and a plain can. I mean... You just read the can and it has an appeal to it. You take it, put it in there, it completely loses its form and all of its appeal. Is that what afflictions do to you? They do that to our emotions. But if we take that affliction and bring it into the relationship of Christ in the face of Jesus Christ, it cannot crush us. It doesn't crush my relationship with Jesus. The art that he's picturing, or I get this picture. God is the potter, and he's making a vessel of clay. It doesn't take that vessel of clay and crush it. It may change its form, but it won't crush it. The afflictions. Perplexed, but not despairing. I want you to notice these contrasts. This is the this is the life that you and I are living, and without us having that glorious light of Jesus Christ's face lighting my world, where I have no understanding, and where I feel like it's complete darkness that experiences, you will be crushed, no doubt. Your spirit will be crushed inside. Your relationship with Jesus Christ will be crushed, decimated. But when He comes and walks and gives with me and gives me this relationship, I'm not crushed. I may be perplexed, but not despairing. Have you ever been completely confused and not discouraged? There's only one way, and that is when you can come back into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may not understand what's going on, but you're not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Now I want you to again notice this contrast. Persecution comes from others. Persecution comes from outside, usually other people. Who disagree with you. Who feel like you're wrong. Who are set out. To change you because they believe so strongly that you're wrong. And they come against you vehemently. Like Persecution is not just a light thing, right? In our minds, it's like torture. It's just, it's kind of, that's what we think of. Being isolated in the prison cell. That involves persecution. And there's a reason that the Holy Spirit has put this other word in there. You may be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. You're not isolated. You're not alone. You may be in the fiery furnace, but there was someone they met in that fiery furnace they had never met before in person Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that story. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Notice how it's building up here. At first he's saying, you're afflicted. You're whipped. But you're not crushed. You're confused by what's going on. But you're not discouraged yet. You're hanging on. You're encouraging yourself. You're persecuted. And you feel alone. But you're not. You have fellowship with Jesus. Now, You may be struck down. Now you're down on your knees. You can't stand anymore. But you're not completely destroyed. You're still alive. Notice the momentum of the intensity that Paul says is building up. This was his experience. Experiencing the fellowship of Jesus Christ. That's What it looked like from the outside. He describes the outside and the inside. Do you notice that? Outside life is afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Wouldn't you say a guy like that, his life is destroyed. Outwardly looking. Someone is afflicted, perplexed persecuted, and struck down. You want to go fellowship with that guy? You want to go hang out with them and do church life with them? Not if you're looking on the outside, you're not going to. You're going to say, (laughs) who wants fellowship with that? That's like going, visiting Job. That's discouraging. That's how his three friends found it. But God didn't. God found fellowship in Job. Even through all of his affliction, but not outwardly. If you were looking for it outwardly, and even if you listened to him, you weren't very encouraged unless you looked for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I read through Job, as this happened to Jason and Laurie, the Lord took Laurie home. In the next few days, I began to read through Job, and and so many times as I read through Job. I just kind of went fast because it's kind of discouraging. But the Lord gave me this beautiful revelation and said, Phil, it's not discouraging if you're looking where I am in the midst of it. You've got to look closely, but you'll find it. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I'm persuaded at the end of my days, this is tucked away in the middle of Job. I'm persuaded that at the end of my days I shall stand before him and have life. I'm paraphrasing, but you can find it. The inside looks like this not crushed. Not despairing. Not forsaken and not destroyed. You want to fellowship with that guy? I do. Because everywhere else we see people destroyed, their faith destroyed, isolating themselves, saying they're completely alone and forsaking and forsaking others, forsaking God's family, forsaking this, just wanting to be by themselves. Verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That is such a contradiction. Have you ever seen anything like it? I'm carrying the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in me. The inside is dying with Christ, taking up daily my cross. But what they see on the outside when they come and they fellowship is the fellowship of the life of Jesus Christ. What a paradox. Soul, verse 12 death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit, verse 13, having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. And what happens? I speak, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. We speak in faith. It's the only way to walk through this. It is so interesting that we've been talking about faith and then the Lord gives us the greatest trial of our faith that we didn't see coming. No one's seen coming. Now what will we do? This is, by the way, a quote of Psalm 116 and you should go back and read it. I won't take the time to do that, but you should. It's there where David said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And there's much more. David said, right in the face of death, I will speak because I believe, not because of what I see. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Again, I'm contrasting inner, outer, outer life or inner life. And many times, they look very different. And if you and I only go by what we see naturally, what our eyes tell us, what our ears tell us, we'll be persuaded that the very life of Jesus in each other is destroyed. That's the end of it. I don't believe he's even a Christian anymore. Have you ever thought that? About somebody, I don't know. I don't know that they're even Christians anymore. That thing did them in. Maybe you thought that about yourself. Have you ever wondered, Lord, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. My outer life looks like it's destroyed. I had it all together. I had my Bible reading. I had my quiet time. I had, I had a beautiful, picturesque Christian life. And then Jesus lit up your world. And everything changed. He lit it up through affliction, through confusion, through persecution, and through being struck down. And then. When you speak out of that experience, words of faith, of the inner relationship we have with Jesus, that causes us to not lose heart. No, we haven't lost heart. In fact, this momentary, verse 17, light affliction is producing Look what he's producing. It's a factory. It's producing something. It's not just on the outside looking like you're being destroyed and whipped with thorns and all of this other affliction is coming upon us. No, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. That word weight is is the measure, is a measuring stick of glory, of eternal reward. It's producing an eternal reward. Far beyond any comparison. You're making a lot of money in heaven through this kind of experience. Is that what this is doing for us? Producing an eternal reward of a relationship that is not even worth comparing to anything on the earth. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'll close with the words of Oswald Chambers. This word really encouraged me. The discipline of difficulty. An average view of the Christian life is that it means deliverance from trouble. That's the average view. It is deliverance in trouble which is very different. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, there shall no evil befall thee. No plague can come nigh the place where you are at one with God. If you are a child of God, there certainly will be troubles to meet. But Jesus says, do not be surprised when they come. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is nothing for you to fear. Men, before they were saved, would scorn to talk about troubles, often become fushionless after being born again because they have a wrong idea of a saint. I don't know what that word means, by the way. God does not give us an overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. Notice that. He doesn't just hand an overcoming life to you in a platter and you eat it. Now you're an overcomer. He gives you a life to overcome. The strain is the strength. If there is no strain, there is no strength. Are you asking God to give you life and liberty and joy? He cannot unless you will accept The strain. Immediately you face the strain, you will get the strength. Overcome your own timidity and take the step. And God will give you to eat of the tree of life and you will get nourishment. If you spend yourself out physically, you will become exhausted. But spend yourself spiritually and you will get more strength. God never gives strength for tomorrow or for the next hour, but only for the strain of the minute. The temptation is to face difficulties with a common sense standpoint. The saint is hilarious. Are you hilarious? The saint is hilarious when he is crushed with difficulties Because the thing is so ludicrously impossible to anyone but God. God bless you.
0: Amen. Thank you, Phil, for that word. There's one verse in particular that you read that... Uh, I thought it went well with, I mean the whole, the whole sermon went well with uh, thinking about the communion and the, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, celebrating the, the death and resurrection of our Lord. Second Corinthians 4, I think it was verse 10. Could you read that for us again, Phil? dying of Jesus. And why was that again? So that what? So that the life of Jesus can be manifest in our body. I'm going to read some very familiar words. You probably hear them read many times at a communion service. And Many times they just go right over our heads or we have our preconceived ideas of, of what it means. But let me read to you 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And I want to share some things that I, that I feel the Lord has once again even made clearer in my life. And I hope it's a blessing to you as well. For as often as ye eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, for he who eats, and drinks, eats, and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of and a number sleep. the The Corinthians had a lot of issues in their church, and and they were uh, there was a lot of pride there. There was a lot of I'm. Feeling good, we're we're good, we're we're good with. I mean, hey, we can even allow this in the church and this sin and overlook it, and we're gonna come together and have communion. We're good. I grew up in a very conservative setting where, in, in a lot of ways, we we took a lot of that uh, same attitude. You'd read those verses well. Whoever eats and drinks the the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty in, of the body and blood of Christ. So we'd say, "All right, we gotta, we gotta be worthy of this. We gotta figure this out. We gotta make sure we're worthy to, to partake in this." And so we'd get together, and and often the week prior to our communion service, we would have this examination service, and and one of the preachers would stand up, and he'd. Read this whole standard book of things that were required of church members of of this church, and you know, have, have you kept all these things, and and are you in good fellowship with the church because of this? And then we'd all, uh, the preachers would all go out into another room, and we'd all go and and talk to them in, individually, and they would know, ask us, are you, are you faithful to these things? Are you, do you have peace with God? And And so if it was judged that you were, all right, you're worthy to drink and eat at the communion table. You're worthy of it. You're good. You know, I think that was totally backwards of what he's intending here. The idea is to be reminded we're not worthy we not. The Corinthians problem was thinking that they were worthy. That they had it together. It didn't matter. and Anything else in their life didn't matter. We got it together. That was taking the blood and body of Jesus lightly. That's what was bringing damnation to them. That's what was light about it. But to come to Jesus and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not. But this is about you, Jesus. And the relationship that you want to have with me. In, in another translation, it says when you do this, it says you're Proclaiming the death of Jesus. You're proclaiming that it's Him when you do this, not that it's me, not that I'm worthy. You're proclaiming that it's about Him. And when we understand that, and we come to the realization of Jesus, it's about you, it's not about me, it's not about a congregation. That I belong to. It's not about whether you're a member of this group or that group. It's about Jesus and giving testimony that it's all about him. Amen. That's what this is. And that's, that's what we want to do here this morning. Is obey this practice and say, Jesus, it's all about you. And if you can do that this morning, no matter where you're from, where you go to church regularly, no matter what you may believe about all kinds of applications of things that the Lord has asked you to do, it's not about that. If you can say that Jesus, it's about you, the work that you've done in my heart and I want to proclaim your death because of that please join with us in that this morning so um Brother John and Dave if you want to uh, pass out these uh, we have these little cups that we'll pass out to you I think on one side is, is a little cup of juice and the other side is a wafer and uh they will pass those out shortly. We'll sing a song and just hang on to those. We'll we'll partake together when they pass them out. Hang on to them and uh, we'll have a prayer and uh, thanking Jesus for his body that was broken and we'll partake together in that And and again, we'll have a prayer thanking Jesus for the blood that was shed for us and the sacrifice that he made for us and we'll drink the juice together as well. So, as they're passing that out, let's uh, sing a song. Um, now, I remember what it was here. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, you probably know it by heart, number 315 in the
1: Red Book. When I survey the Wondrous
0: and resurrection and the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. So. As announced before, we don't have a meal, but uh, feel free to hang around and fellowship if you want to. There's probably still some goodies back there, so uh, feel free to fellowship as the Lord leads you. Let's all stand. And Phil, do you want to lead us in a closing prayer?
6: Father, thank you for your life that you put within these earthen vessels. We surrender again today, Lord's to your will and your way in our lives. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, and lift up our lives as a living sacrifice to be holy and acceptable in your sight, Lord Jesus. I pray as we go forth from this place that you would continue to shine your glorious light in these earthen vessels, Lord, to make us the light of the world that you put us into. In Jesus' name, amen.